Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kephron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, Grafton and New Hope. Um, welcome for those who are in the live Zoom, as well as those who are with us uh, at this church. It's really good to be here. Um, on the God's word together. Thank you, Curtis, for uh, leading us in singing and Shailen for uh, reading the scripture for us um, and, and for praying, uh, Jian. So uh, let's uh, come to the Lord again and ask for his help as we look into his word that Shailen just read for us. Father, we thank you for gathering us. It's good to be here, good to be in your house, uh, and good to be worshiping you, um, for you deserve our worship. You are worthy of our worship. So we pray now that you, you will speak through these words, convict our hearts, and bring us closer to you, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be a greater of you, greater follower of you, knowing that Jesus followed and obey, obeyed every step of the way to the cross for our, for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the symbol of a Christianity? Probably, I think most of you know, most of our answer is the cross. Maybe some of you are actually wearing the cross as a, as a necklace. Cross was a Roman instrument of execution. It's actually one of the instruments for most brutal, that most painful, shameful public death. So it's ironic that we wear this execution instrument as a necklace or other jewelry sometimes. But it is the most recognized symbol of Christianity as Christ's death 
is central to Christianity. But let's ask this, was Jesus helpless victim on the way to the cross? Was he helpless when he was betrayed and falsely accused by the Jewish leaders? Was he helpless when, when he was judged by Pilate, even though Pilate knew that he was innocent? And then yet gave in, gave in to the demands of the crowd. He was a victim of all these people and, the sinful, and their sinful actions, but he was not helpless. In fact, the passage we read, and actually the whole book of John, shows us that Jesus was fully in control of every step on the way to the cross. In today's passage, John does not focus on the human responsibility for his death. Instead, John focuses on Jesus and his sovereign control. The cross didn't just happen to Jesus. John shows us that every step on the way to the cross was planned, orchestrated, and fulfilled by Jesus. When we look at this passage from a worldly or human perspective, things are completely out of control. Every, after three years of teaching and healings and many other miracles, Jesus was gaining enormous popularity, and yet he's about to fall victim to unjust accusations and a terrible betrayal by a friend, a close friend even. However, as we'll see in this passage, Jesus was in absolute control of every detail. Jesus was not a helpless victim, but the sovereign God and a savior. So in today's John passage, we'll look at how Jesus demonstrated how he's fully in control in the midst of what looks like a really bad situation. And this is really good news for us because for us, even when things look really bad in our lives, and that may be very often for us, we can be assured that God is in control and his plans are good for us. So first we'll see how Jesus was fully in control of his mission, his mission to earth. And second, we'll see how Jesus declares his identity, his divinity. And third, we'll see how Jesus advocates in the midst of chaos for his friends. Then fourth, we'll examine how the disciples responded and therefore how we should respond. So first, Jesus shows us that he is in full control of his mission, why he came to the, why he came to the earth 2,000 years ago. You know, it was back in May when Pastor Rob preached on the Last Supper with Judas leaving the supper to betray Jesus. So what we have been going through from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17 during the last three months really only really took place in the, in just in a few hours right after the supper. And so before we dive into today's text in John chapter 18, let's just take a look at or review what we, where we have been. So in John chapter 13, Jesus washed the, washes the disciples' feet, and during the Passover supper, Judas leaves to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, obviously, and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. 
So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Judas knew that he was going to betray him, but does not stop him. Then in, in the following three chapters, uh, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus taught the, taught the disciples to prepare them how they should live after Jesus departs the earth. He promised that the Holy Spirit will come and will be with them to teach them, to protect them, and guide them. He spoke to them that they would be persecuted, just like Jesus was being persecuted. And the last week, Pastor Rob preached on John 17, the prayer of Jesus for his disciples, that they would glorify God, that God would keep them, that God would sanctify them, and that God would unify them. So now let's look at today's passage. And I'd like to ask you to have your Bible open to John chapter 18, and or your app to John chapter 18. We'll keep referring to it during the next 30 minutes or so. And as we read, please pay close attention to the details. John didn't just put these details just to, just to fill up the pages. All the details are significant, you'll see. So John chapter 18, 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So after the supper, he took some time to do all this teaching that we went over in the last three months. And it was probably past midnight. It was pretty late. So he and the disciples leave the city of Jerusalem, come down the hill to cross the brook Kidron, and then go up Mount, Mount of Olives to a garden to rest. In the other Gospels, they named this garden Gethsemane, uh, which also means oil press. It was a wall garden, probably owned by a wealthy friend. For, this, for Jesus and his disciples to use, to rest. We know that this was a garden that he used to come frequently together with the disciples to teach and to rest because Luke tells us. So let me read uh, in Luke chapter 21. It says, this is during the, uh, during the Passover week, right after the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. It says, every day he was teaching in the temple but at night, he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, which is Mount of Olives. So Luke makes it clear that he would teach during the day at the temple. And then in the evening, he would go to the same garden to rest. So why is this detail significant? See, Judas had been with Jesus during this whole week. And every evening, Judas would have gone to, this, to the same garden, join Jesus in going to this garden. So Judas knew that this is where Jesus would go after the Last Supper. And Jesus wanted to, if Jesus wanted to escape the arrest, this is certainly not the place to go to. If Jesus wanted to go to a safe place, he would not have gone to the garden where Judas was expecting him. But Jesus takes his disciples and willingly and knowingly goes to the place he would be betrayed and arrested. 
The betrayal and arrest did not surprise him, did not catch him by surprise. Jesus is not a helpless victim. He's not deceived. He even chose the place of his arrest and was resolute in his mission to accomplish redemption for us on the cross. He knew that this was his hour. The hour had come. He knew how he would be betrayed, and he chose the place of his arrest. He planned his mission, stayed on his mission for us. He lived a perfect life, and now was following his detailed plan for his arrest, and ultimately death on the cross. Jesus also said in John chapter 10, verse 18, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus was following each planned step in laying down his life on his own accord. So second, Jesus declares his identity, his divinity. So turn now, look back and uh, look at your Bible, John chapter 18, verse 3. Let's continue here. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officer from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. We'll stop there for now. When the text says a band of soldiers, a picture we might get is just a few soldiers coming with Judas. And that's the picture that I have. However, the Greek word is cohort. And according to historical documents, Roman cohort was about 600 soldiers. Not just a few soldiers, 600 soldiers were coming. So Judas was bringing about 600 Roman soldiers and also officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. This latter group would be like the temple police. And they are the one that's responsible for arresting Jesus. And the Roman soldiers were there to back them up. So very large group, upwards of 650 armed soldiers and police were coming to arrest Jesus, to arrest one man and a few disciples. Why such a large group? I mean, if you were trying to go arrest one person, would you bring 650 armed soldiers and police? Perhaps Judas was worried that Jesus, Jesus would be hiding or trying to run away, and they would have to do, send out a search party. Or probably, most likely, they were worried that there could be a mob violence in trying to protect Jesus. Remember, only a few days ago on the Palm Sunday, a large crowd had welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus was very popular. Just but a week before that, he raised Lazarus from death. So people knew that this was a, something significant about this man, this prophet, Jesus. He was very popular. And so Judas and the chief priests and the Pharisees may have worried that there could be a mob to protect Jesus. In fact, the scripture tells us that they wanted to arrest Jesus earlier in the week. Matthew 246 tells us, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds, but they held him to be a prophet. 
So it makes sense that they are coming later night. And he, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I'm he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus does not wait for the soldiers or the temple police to come to him. They are not the one in control. He says, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. The text seems to indicate that Jesus goes out of the wall garden, goes forward to meet Judas and his band of soldiers and the temple police. He's not hiding to avoid the arrest. Jesus fully knew what would happen. And Jesus is the one that comes forward and challenges them. Whom do you seek? This wasn't a question because Jesus didn't know. But this was to show who was in charge. Notice that Jesus does not try to persuade Judas to stop the betrayal. He could have stopped him, in fact, at the upper room during the Last Supper just a few hours ago. But Jesus knew that the betrayal was all part of the sovereign plan. The arresting party answers to Jesus' question, Jesus of Nazareth. Which is, which is a correct statement. But how Jesus answers actually is remarkable. Jesus answers, I am he. What's interesting is that in the actual, in the original Greek, Actually, the original Greek, it is simply, I am. The Greek word is ego, I mean. The pronoun, he, is not there. Translators actually added that, thinking that that will make it clear. Jesus could have answered, yes, I am the Jesus of Nazareth. Instead, Jesus used the, designa the designation that Jews would recognize right away, the des designation for divinity, I am. So Jesus says, and I, says, I am, which we see in the Old Testament often as a reference to the divine name Yahweh. So for example, if you remember in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God, why should, I tell, why should I tell the Israelites as to who sent me? God answers, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am was a doctor declaration of unique divine identity. It's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in John, in fact, we see this as well. And as the Jews were questioning Jesus and his authority, just in, earlier in John 3, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So at that time, Jesus was declaring to them, I'm God. I am the Yahweh that you've been waiting for, which infuriated the Jewish leaders. So here when Jesus answered, I am, the officers and the temple police, the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus meant. Judas knew exactly what Jesus meant. 
parts the Roman soldiers didn't know. But Jesus makes it clear. I'm not just a Jesus of Nazareth. I'm the sovereign God. Let's look at another interesting detail that John has. It's not in the other gospel. In verse 6 tells us that they drew back. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So just imagine the picture. Um, it's dark. There are about 600 soldiers with torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus comes forward and says, I am. And they just fall. There were 600, 600 soldiers and probably about 50 police armed with weapons standing against a mere carpenter and a few fishermen. And Jesus speaks, I am. And with just one phrase, these strong soldiers and angry temple police simply collapse onto the ground. He speaks his name, and just the power of that name makes them fall. And this is, there is power in his name. There is power in his presence. And no one can stand in the holy presence of God. Who is in control of this scene? It's not Judas. It's not the 600 soldiers. It's clearly Jesus. By his declaration, he briefly, he briefly showed the power of his divinity. And they fell. But notice that it wasn't worship or ability. When you are worshiping, you fall forward and bow down. But these soldiers and temple police fell backward. people experiencing terror of who God is, especially in the Old Testament. When Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, the Israelites were terrified. In Exodus chapter 20, it tells us, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us. We listen, but I let God speak to us, lest we die. No one can stand in the presence of holy God. I want to take a pause and just make an appeal to you at this time. For anyone here or listening to the live stream, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this should put a great fear in you. Because at some point, we will all be in the physical presence of God and we won't be able to stand in the presence of the Holy God unless our sins have been washed by Jesus. So as Jay mentioned in the catechism teaching, so we trust him, we follow him now. Let's go back to the story. So the soldiers and the officer fall to the ground Jesus is not the victim. He's the one in control. You see, he spoke and created the world. He spoke and raised Lazarus from the dead. He spoke and healed the sick. There's a power in his word. There's power in his name. By making them fall, Jesus was actually showing them grace. 
perhaps give them a chance for them to recognize that he's God, for the, for the chance for them to repent. He was showing them all the weapons in the world would not be enough to contain him unless he freely lays down his life. Jesus declares deity. And even though they didn't come to worship, they fall. Jesus demonstrated the power of his divine identity. The third, Jesus added to his friend in the midst of this chaotic scene. So turn with me, turn with me to verse 7. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. So if you seek me, let this man go. This was to fulfill the word that he has spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. We saw that in verse 6, the soldiers and the temple police fell to the ground. And they are probably just stumbling and trying to get back up. What about the disciples? R.C. Sproul comments that on this fateful night, there were two groups of people who were equally terrified, the soldiers and the disciples. I would imagine when the disciples saw the soldiers fall, they were probably thinking, telling Jesus, Jesus, this is our chance. Let's split. Let's run. Instead, Jesus allows himself to be arrested and advocates for his disciples for their physical safety. This is why he asked the, the, the arresting party twice, whom do you seek? He wanted them to know and confirm that they only needed to arrest Jesus, not the disciples. Why did he care that they don't get arrested? We know from the scripture that it's not like the disciples were a great bunch of loyal friends. Both Matthew and Mark Gospel tell us that as soon as Jesus was, Jesus was arrested, they all left him and fled. Scripture tells us that last week, from, um, from the passage that John, I mean, John chapter 17 that Rob preached, where Jesus was praying, was Jesus prayed for the disciples. He prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. That was Jesus' prayer for the disciples. Now Jesus is telling the arresting party, let this man go. He's commanding them to allow the disciples to go. He prayed for the safety of the disciples in chapter 17. He is actually fulfilling that prayer as God. So verse 9 says, this was to fulfill the word that he has spoken in chapter 17. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. But that still begs the question, why did he care that they don't get, why did he care so much that they don't get arrested at this time? Jesus loved them. Jesus knew that they were not yet ready to represent Christ and the message of the gospel in the hostile world. He knew that if they were to suffer, 
be arrested, maybe even killed. There would, there would be that chance. And if that were to happen, if they were to be arrested and suffer, their faith might be destroyed. He knew that suffering would be, could, would be more than they could bear at this time. They needed to see the cross. They needed to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's why Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that they would be further sanctified. And so now protects them and secures their physical safety. And this is really encouraging for us. You know, we are all weak and we'll have difficulties with trials and sufferings. But it's encouraging to see how Jesus protected the disciples. Jesus said in John chapter 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The Bible is telling us that Christians will face trouble in this world. And in fact, we, know, we all know that during those troubles, our faith grows our faith grows the most. And we all, to some extent, we're all facing troubles in one form or another during this pandemic. But it is so reassuring to us that the Bible also says we can have peace in the midst of troubles because Jesus has overcome the world and he's in control of this world. Jesus advocates for us even now as he had done for his disciples. Jesus is advocating for us, not only for our eternal salvation, but also for our sanctification now. So Jesus was resolute in his mission. He declared his identity, his divine identity, and Jesus advocated for his friends because he loved them. Jesus was fully in control in the midst of really bad, chaotic scene. He was following each step according to his sovereign plan. So in the last section, so how did the disciples respond? And subsequently, what, is our, what should be our response? So please turn to John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Their servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Ananias, to Annas, and he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that he would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So let's consider the disciples as a whole. They were scared. They followed Jesus for three years. Despite Jesus' teaching that he would suffer death, they were hoping that Jesus would bring an earthly kingdom right then. Jesus had repeatedly taught the disciples that he would die. Mark chapter 10 tells us, in taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. 
They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It was just about a week ago that Jesus was teaching that to the disciples. Jesus could not have been more clear about the suffering and the death that he will face. But the disciples didn't understand. In a way, some are comical that even afterwards, they would argue who would sit next to Jesus in the earthly kingdom. They didn't understand that Jesus' death would accomplish victory over the power of sin. And that's how you would establish the kingdom of God. So now they face this massive force of Roman soldiers and temple police. So it is understandable. They are scared. Then we see Peter. Peter was, all, Peter was always the impetuous one among the disciples. So here, Peter pulls out his sword, most likely a small dagger, and takes a swing. He meant to kill the high priest servant, Malchus, but misses and instead just cuts off his ear. After all, he was not a trained swordsman. He was just a fisherman. But look at, think about the scene, that scene again. There are 650 men armed with weapons, trained men about to rest. And here's Peter with a small dagger trying to fight. What was he thinking? Can he fight up the 600 soldiers by himself? But he was desperate in a brave emotional act. He took a swing with a sword and cut up the ear of Malchus. Peter was trying to defend Jesus, trying to help him out. Peter didn't want Jesus to be arrested, and the hope for the earthly kingdom would be squashed. The idea of Jesus suffering and dying was just unacceptable to Peter. It didn't make sense. But Jesus responded, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Cup symbolizes wrath, judgment. Jesus is telling Peter, don't defend me. I don't need you to be brave at this time. This is my plan. I need to drink the cup that the Father has given me. I need to go to the cross and take the punishment from God for you. God ordained every step of Jesus' path to the cross. Jesus knew it and went forward. Acts 2.23, and this is a really remarkable verse, says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God planned it as a central part of his merciful plan for our salvation. And Jesus knowingly follows each step. The disciples responded by fleeing and acting in a confused, rash manner. So what should be our response? Often, it is difficult for us to trust, wait on God, when things don't go the way we expected, the way that seems so right to us. You know, it's easy to trust God when everything goes right. The job is going well, the family is doing well, the relationships are wonderful. But what if things are not going so well? 
things are not going according to our plan. Or perhaps God has a different plan or a different timing. So for some maybe difficulties at our work, or even loss of job that some of you are facing during this pandemic. Or waiting, waiting for God, being single and waiting for marriage. And here's a concern that I know many of the parents are anxious about and facing right now in the midst of this pandemic. Do I send my children to the public school or do I keep them at home for virtual learning or perhaps just homeschool them? And these are difficult decisions and confusing times. And there are times when we feel the circumstances around us are completely beyond our control, completely beyond our ability to understand even. So at these times, we are prone to be anxious because we can't control things. And just like Peter, we are prone to be rash, impatient. We're prone to be hasty, impulsive, maybe even reckless in taking the matters in our own hands. And that's what happened to Peter here. And remember, that's what happened to Abraham when he was, when he could not, happened to Abraham when he could not wait for God's promise for a son. He took the matter in his own hands and had a son out of adultery. And this is where many of us sin almost daily, being frustrated that God is not following my plan. Just like Peter was, we think God doesn't know what he's doing. And we charge our head with our own plans, often to our own destruction. But just as God planned each step towards the cross, God also plans everything in our lives for our good. Jesus, who was fully in control on the way to the cross, is fully in control of everything in our lives. God ordains everything around us. So when we feel that we are in a really difficult, perhaps chaotic situation, it's God working in our lives. It's God's grace to teach us, to help us to trust him more, to sanctify us. Romans chapter 8 tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God who did not, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is good news. God, who knows all things and loves us supremely, is in complete control of everything around us. And that's why it's good news, because we have a good God, we have a good Father. So when it seems to take so long for God's plan in our lives to work out, God promises us in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God will give us strength as we wait on him. There's another verse in Isaiah 64.4. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait on him. So when God is causing us to wait, Instead of being anxious, 
or making rash decisions, or, or perhaps even abandoning God as the disciples had done, we respond in faith. We wait on the Lord because Jesus would love me enough to die on the cross for me. He's also looking out for my best interests. Jesus who showed his resolve in his mission for us is one that we can fully trust and one worthy of our worship. He's a God who willingly suffered for us, but he does not remain distant from our human sufferings or difficulties. Yeah, and for many of the families, for that decision about schools, or for that matter, for any difficult decisions, I know that this is not a simple decision. It's a difficult one. But we act in faith by first praying, praying for wisdom, by seeking counsel from good sources, and we decide without being anxious, and then trust the Lord without decision. So we pray for wisdom, we seek good sources, we decide, and then trust the Lord without decision. Job 42. Job speaks, in Job 42, Job speaks of God. I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. What a wonderful truth. So we respond in faith by believing in this Jesus and following him, even when things seem so chaotic. You see, things may not go according to our plan, but we can never mess up God's plan in our lives. And his plans are always good. Jesus came as an infant, lived a perfect righteous life, and died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. God planned the cross and did not spare his own son so that we would be spared the punishment for our sins. This is the heart of Christianity, the heart of the gospel. That's why we wear the cross my sin to Jesus, and his righteousness to me. So we respond in faith to depend on him completely with every part of our lives. Amen. So let me pray as we close. Father, we thank you for, for Jesus. We thank you that he willingly stepped towards the cross and died on the cross for us. Lord, convict us Help us to love you. Help us to follow you at all times because your wisdom is good. Much, much wiser. You are much wiser than we are. We are. We are. And your plans are good. So, Lord, help us to, for those who may not know you, help us come to know Jesus, come to trust him. And for those of us who, may, who know Jesus Christ, help us to follow you each step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.